Well, hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting across North America and right there in your pockets via the podcast version that you can always subscribe to. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, calling it in from uh, Central Europe at this moment and uh, joined by my colleague David Clement, bundled up, looking good in Toronto, Ontario. David, how goes it, good man? Oh, it's going. It's going. I'm getting excited to uh, be headed back to the old world, to your stomping grounds. In the uh, the great country of Austria. Um, yeah, first time for you, I think. First time, first time to Austria uh, next week. So another another country added to the list. Uh, another stamp in the old uh, passport. Um, looking forward to it. What's uh, yeah, what's David. Austria like these days? What's the weather like? Is it is there snow <laughs> on the ground? Uh, at this moment, no snow. It's a bit uh, cold and rainy as of today, but I think you'll have a good time. Uh, so for those not in the know, who are not in our Slack channel, uh, D- David will be joining uh, some, uh, I think, 20-odd of our colleagues from the Consumer Choice Center, which produces this program in Vienna, Austria, for uh, one of our retreats. Uh, we don't have an office, but, uh, you know, we got to defend Consumer Choice somehow and get together with our colleagues every now and then, and we'll bring everybody here. Uh, domestically, so it's going to be kind of fun. We've already got plenty of schnitzel lined up. We've got some uh, some nice little Christmas markets on the docket as well, and then um, yeah, hopefully have a good time in the in the city. It's a it's a bit different than some of our normal locales that are much more party friendly, but it's a good time to be here in winter, uh, just because it's a very beautiful Christmas markets are really nice, and uh, the culture itself is is very cool. Uh, just this week we had two holidays. Uh, We had the St. Nicholas Day, when uh, the St. Nicholas comes to the door of the children and puts chocolates and oranges in their shoes. And then we had uh, the Immaculate Conception. So two opportunities for me to not go to the grocery store. Okay, interesting. Those are holidays that I am not familiar with. Um, So that's fun. Yeah, what's interesting, it's hard, you know, those uh, multi-culties, you know, I think there's a good amount in the Toronto area who deal with different traditions, Christmas traditions, uh, particularly if you marry into different families. And we have to deal with the scenario whereby we have this uh, St. Nicholas character who happens to wear red, uh, who happens to have a nice hat, uh, who happens to give you presents, and then Santa Claus, which uh, he comes a bit later, and he's also got gifts, and he's also wearing a red hat, and he's got a red coat. So much the same. And uh, in the mix, we've got the baby Jesus, which at least in this Catholic part of the world is actually the one that will both decorate your tree and give you presents on the oh. evening of the 24th. Okay. Uh, very cool. I mean, these are all, uh, I feel culturally enlightened now. I'm not, uh, not familiar with any of those. So It's yeah, really interesting because uh, I, I think we talked about it last year. I remember doing this program way too long. Uh, but, you know, you have this original tradition of this, this, this guy, Nikolaus, who was in, hanging out in Turkey and uh, was attempting to, I think I told this story, he was attempting to save, uh, there were prostitutes who were working at a particular brothel and not allowed to leave. Uh, he threw pebbles, stones, and oranges into the windows, broke them, and uh, eventually was able to rescue them, performed a couple of miracles, and uh, don't you know it? This guy is uh, the uh, the the proto Santa Claus. Wow. Okay, that's uh, also new. Also new. 
Yeah, that's, um, that's why the oranges uh, figure into the dropping the oranges in the shoes. Uh, all, all kinds of uh, interesting stuff. You can read about that over there on the Wikipedia. Uh, David, I'm a bit uh, tired this week. I um, participated in a, uh, a live YouTube show. Yes, and it was right in early your time, was it not? It was at the ungodly hour of uh, 6 p.m. Los Angeles time. <laughs> so mm. the, the, the mm. figures to be about 3 a.m. Uh, where I am locally. and uh, But it's cool. Got to talk about Lovely. vaping advocacy. Got to talk about policy. Got to talk about harm reduction. And, um, you know, this is the community, community of uh, activists who are very passionate about their vapes and their different devices and juices and, uh, and all the like. And got to talk a lot about policies in, in Australia and Canada, U.S. Uh, it was very fun. A nice little back and forth. I can uh, put that there in the show notes. You can find it. it's called Wednesday Night Live. But I find it's always fun to talk to like the really, really passionate um, vape activists because their own personal story is almost always so enlightening. Right? We're talking about someone um, who'll be like, "Oh yeah, I was like a regular smoker for ten, twelve, fifteen years, and I haven't touched a cigarette in five. You're like, whoa, okay, that's like, you've made a serious um, change for the better um, for your own health. And now they're just passionate about making sure that other people have that opportunity as well. Um, so I, I always love listening to those stories, and I'm sure, um, I'm, I'm sure it's no different in your experience. Well, according to the public health authorities, these people don't exist. <laughs> or they're, or you know, at the very least, they're bots online on Twitter, uh, who, you know, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. Um, you know, one point on this, talking about people posting online, I do have a bone to pick with uh, Doctor Jordan Peterson. Mm. So he has come out uh, raging against uh, basically people being anonymous online. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, um, he, he takes the position that uh, essentially the, those who choose to use anonymous names are cowards, so-called, and uh, he believes that the online environment is made worse by people, um, quote, hiding behind uh, various pseudonyms online. And uh, he's not a fan of them, and, and he would like to see some kind of system where we use real names and real identifiers, especially online. Um, I'm kind of in the middle here. So I'm I'm trying to implement a policy for myself where I do not respond to anonymous accounts because part of my, part of part of it for me is like wow well, you know what I mean I at least have the guts to put my name and affiliations behind what I'm saying um, llama seventy two or whoever doesn't um, why engage with them. Um, so that may be part. That may be Jordan Peterson's problem is he doesn't have the the self control to uh, to not respond. Oh, that's um, obviously they, true. Yeah, I mean, what they probably could do is rather than because there are a lot of good reasons, um, not so much in North America but around the world, um, especially in more authoritarian countries where Twitter is still available but operating anonymously um, is like a safety protocol. So I can understand that. Twitter could probably create a situation where accounts are um, 
are verified in the sense that it's been established that the person is um, like a real person while they register the account. I don't know how you would do that. You could do some sort of identification check or something like when you actually apply to get verified. Um, but then at the same time, you're then giving this social media platform a lot of info rather than name, email. I don't even know if you put in your phone number. I, I guess you do. Um, ding, ding. You have the correct answer, David. Um, yeah, I guess I need to a do a little bit of, I need to do a little bit of anon pilling with you. Uh, oh, no. so when you first came online, so it was at least true for me, uh, did you use any of these instant messenger services? Yeah. Like MSN. All right. And MSN, did you have a normal name or were you just, you know, did you use David Clement or were you using hockey guy 85? How'd that work? Oh, I had a rather embarrassing one. All right, you don't I have to say not, it. Uh, I will not share it. It's, uh, it's super cringe. So that's the thing is, you know, a lot of digital natives, and I would say, you know, mostly millennials, people of our generation, that's, we came online using things like MSN and AOL, AIM. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I had my own handle. Everyone had handles. Everyone had Anon things. You go into chat rooms. You talk to people. Hey, ASL. You know, you do this kind of thing. That was kind of the birth of the internet. That's how a lot of things worked. If you got your first Yahoo email or... Uh, Gmail or, you know, simpatico or wh whatever it is that you're... You're really throwing it back there. <laughs> <laughs> simpatico. Yeah, yeah, or, you know, you used GeoCities. You know, you, you had all this kind of services, and everybody would use pseudonyms back then or use different names and cute things or things that related to your personality or a song you liked. You know, so we had all of this, and it was kind of how we had our identities on the Internet. The argument that I've been making lately is that it was not until Friendster... And later, Facebook, to where people actually started using their real names online. And we have this new iteration kind of with Twitter where, where people essentially, I think people like us, it's wedded to our professional work. But there are a good number of people, and I say that for people in the vape community, people in the Bitcoin community, people who are in uh, authoritarian regimes, like you mentioned, who still want to participate online and in public conversations, but don't necessarily want to use their real names where it could blow back on them. If they have a particular opinion, uh, I think that is still a freedom that we must adhere to. And I'm very cautious about any schemes to match your uh, government identity. If I can use that term, <laughs> your government name to your online identity. And uh, they're the only reason I'm bringing this up now is there are examples in the United Kingdom. Um, they're trying to do these porn filter things where you have to prove your age and identity in order to access various websites. I find all that very problematic. And again, we do live in liberal democracies, mostly in North America and Europe, where we don't necessarily have to think about pushback. But, you know, there are some circumstances that exist here and many more in authoritarian regimes where if, if I mean, if you're a Chinese person, you're not really allowed to have Twitter anyway, unless you're a diplomat. Yeah. So that's yeah, like uh, that's why I thought yeah. about that. Yeah, but although it is true that the anonymous factor on Twitter does make everything exponentially worse. Does it, though? Like, because I see plenty oh, of real name accounts that have some pretty bad vitriol. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess so. Um, I don't know. I feel like it, it's just worse from anonymous accounts. Really. <laughs> Like people will say things to you that they wouldn't dream saying to your face. 
Yeah, and, and like, you know, people might do that, that you- in one-offs, you know, in order to, uh, you know, try to criticize someone. Uh, but then again, there are also anonymous accounts who build up reputation. Um, I'm thinking one, one example is Comfortably Smug, you know, guy now a podcaster, kind of big in conservative circles. Uh, there's Gigi in the Bitcoin world. Like, these are people who have written books and done interviews and have, like, entire personalities based on these uh, these anon handles. And I I kind of resent the fact that we have to always use our real names for absolutely everything. Um, again, that does not give license for people to go after threats and use anonymous things. But I don't know. It feels as if that's something with the internet that has changed that I would like to see back. There's always a place for having your real name, you know, a LinkedIn or something like that, where it is tied to your work and your job. But I I still believe in the virtue of being anonymous online. Um, I wouldn't tell you my handle from my early AOL days either, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And and just for the record, my, uh, my original email as a, as a kid, um, was nothing cancelable. It's just very cringe. It's very uh, grade eight um, adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, but the internet was so different back then. I mean, there was no Facebook. Um, you then had the emergence of MySpace. Remember MySpace? You, well, you MySpace, your... a lot of people still used these handles as well. Um, you were using much more of your real picture. But people were still using some of these handles, at least for the profile URLs and the top. And you eight. rank your top friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, those are very interesting times, and and you know it's it's getting there. There's a great Substack actually. Now I think about it, called Doomberg. Okay. Uh, it's it's a, this green chicken, and they provide probably some of the best energy analysis <laughs> and the commodity markets, and they have all these charts, and it's like. That is very interesting to see. And it's it's a couple of uh, traders, energy commodity traders, who kind of have this collective personality they built. And, um, you know, God forbid we speak of uh, one of the most, I guess, uh, popular or effective um, anons in at least our, the recent decade and a half, Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, Bitcoin. <sighs> yes. So uh, <laughs> can't uh, cannot forget that kind of stuff, but... Uh, We'll talk about Anon accounts, talk about some other stuff, some articles. Coming up here on Consumer Choice Radio, stay tuned to that dial, David. Very happy to, to be here on the program with you. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting on Saga 960 AM, the Big Talker Network, and right there on your podcast app. Uh, David, it was a busy week. There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people trying to get things done before Christmas. And uh, we've had a good number of lawsuits. We've had uh, all kinds of stuff going out in the digital realm, the Twitter files. Uh, we have this uh, prisoner exchange that took place um, in, um, yeah, in we Dubai. Yeah, we talk about that. So uh, this uh, yeah, just happened. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, obviously good. I, I, I like it when countries do their best to return um, their citizens whom have been wrongly or um, unfairly detained abroad. Uh, there are a lot. Of, I mean, the biggest Canadian example of that is the two Michaels. 
Um, but there's a lot of analysis on whom the U.S. traded for Brittany Griner, the WNBA player. Uh, and that analysis is not necessarily great because... Uh, do you ever watch the movie Lord of War with Nicolas Cage back in the day? Oh, I'm quite familiar. I'm uh, yeah. probably given a comment or two on the IMDb page. Yeah, so that movie is based on the guy that the Americans just traded back to Russia. Um, he's a big arms dealer. <laughs> so uh, that makes it a little uncomfortable. Um, yeah, that makes it a little uncomfortable. And it also kind of raises the question of like, well, why did you wait so long, right? You're you're gonna give him that guy back. You're gonna give Putin that guy back anyway. So why did you wait so long? You have Brittany Griner in a penal colony, uh, is how they described it. Because um, she had a <clears throat> cannabis vaping cartridge. Yeah, well, That's the whole thing allegedly. Allegedly, I mean, I mean, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But I would, I huge asterisks with allegedly. Um, we're talking about getting detained in, in Russia. So who knows what, what is uh, true? True. Yeah. Uh, you never know. And we've seen a lot, many other people who have uh, been detained, um, for all kinds of things. I mean, you mentioned the two Michaels, anything in China, these guys are just picked up, just picked up, you know, at least for her, it was going through the airport, going through the screening and, uh, Hey, Lord knows we've had plenty of uh, TSA agents, um, you know, slip things into people's bags or <laughs> who knows, and for the Russia deal, what's interesting is uh, this was brokered by Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. So they're sort of, uh, they are now the neutral powers, it seems, uh, in the entire whatever polar thing we have between U.S., China, and Russia, which I guess is more on the China side, but they're kind of faltering in their own way. Uh, what's interesting about this is there are still other Americans who are held in Russia. This is something that has been discussed before. Uh, there's one who's a former military guy accused of spying. Uh, there's, there's probably many others. Uh, you know, this kind of stuff is always very political, and it's um, no one's ever going to be happy in these situations, and it really seems like the Biden administration wasn't playing a really good hand, and I don't know. Yeah, not it's good weird. to see people in jail internationally, um, no. particularly if they're in a place that has death penalties or yeah. you get caught smuggling in Indonesia or something like that. You get your head chopped off. So mm -hmm. <laughs> not cool. Yeah, not not good at all. Um, not good. But what uh, what what kind of tickled your fancy this week? There's a lot of consumer choice topics. Uh, well, I'm gonna go. I know you're not a video game guy, so we're not going to talk about Activision and uh, Microsoft. Well, but, let's uh, go. Let's go right into popular culture. The new documentary about uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Um, I know that you. Oh God, uh, I, I know you that you happened to uh, have watched uh, at least some of that with your wife as well. Uh, what's your take? Well, I'll just go to the Mirror. .co.uk. <sighs> Harry and Meghan have quote no way back after Netflix show with William quote. Utterly furious. <laughs> I see this more as nothing more than a paint-up job, uh, kind of a propaganda job. I don't yeah, really that's... care. Um, you can't, you know, you can't control the uh, the remote control in the evening sometimes at your home, <laughs> especially you married guys. So not much you can do. Yep. 
uh i i don't know i find it less interesting from what i've seen i think the first two and a half episodes very soapy um man it just made me think i hope i have all these pictures of myself when i was young and videos i don't know if i don't know if those exist i don't know if my parents were that good at archival footage there seems to be a lot of archival footage particularly on the megan side definitely you'd, you'd know that for someone who's a prince of a empire like harry but yeah that was my first thought yeah i know that i have a lot of pictures but i, I doubt that there's really much video um just because that was that's mo that's pretty rare unless you're famous um yeah i mean oh, you i just had a felt, video camera or something at home when you're young yeah you know? I, I just felt like it was it was an attempt to show the british people that megan and harry aren't that bad um and i don't think they're bad per se but i don't know there's just so much of it that strikes me as like very strange like i'll give you one example the the not understanding of of protocol for Megan and it just kind of being cast as not not that I think that the protocol like I think the protocol is just a show it's all very strange to me um but so like how many i mean you may not know anyone who fits into this category but like how many friends do you know or 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 do you have who've maybe married a partner from a different culture or a different religion um and then how serious it becomes in terms of learning those customs and understanding like what they do and like i have friends who've married um into muslim families or into jewish families or into catholic families and like there are all sorts of things that kind of become um, oh yeah, this is what you you're supposed to do here, and you're supposed to take this, and you're supposed to not do this, and this is like the custom here. Um, those are like the normal things that happen in a relationship, um, in a marriage, and then it just seems so strange that Megan was like, "Well, I didn't really know," and it's like, well, "Didn't he tell you? <laughs> didn't didn't anybody tell you?" Like. This is these are the rules and like this is how you do things and I it's very strange because like for normal people you'd like if you marry into a Muslim family and you go to mosque let's say you learn this is this is where you put your shoes this is how we do this and this is how we do this and try to avoid doing this because that's considered offensive um, those are all normal uh, and yet it just seems that they they like to be like well well she was American so she didn't know and it's like well, give her a heads up, guys. Holy cow. Yeah, I got to put it in her inbox or something. <laughs> Hit her up with a... a, a I love the uh, Instagram ad in this whole thing. I originally saw her on Instagram. Well, actually... Really did you, Creeper? I mean, the, the whole royal correspondent section was hilarious because I'm already seeing parts of the British press dissect that story and be like, well, on other occasions... They, he said they were set up on a blind date by a friend. So, like, now the story has changed what's happened. <laughs> nah, I don't know. I had forgotten about him being in the military. I'd forgotten about that. That was kind of uh, that was a big part a while ago. I remember that one interview, he's, like, just talking to some journo, and he just, like, jumps up and runs to the helicopter. Yeah, I, I do that remember cool that. I think the thing that strikes me for him, which is, I mean, commendable, is, that, like, he actually served, and he served in roles that were not uh, 
Um, yeah, he wasn't giving people soup and bread. No, he served. I I don't know if it, I I'm not up to he date. He was actually flying the helicopter. Yeah, so he he had his pilot license and it was, stuff I like that. I would call it in combat, like combat roles. Um, which I mean, for someone whom there's a lot at stake, is uh, commendable. Commendable, I would say. Uh, it was funny when he was like, "Well, I've, I've been to war twice." <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, so I found that interesting. We'll see what part two brings and whether or not there's any uh, big nuggets of scandal that come out from that. But I thought it was pretty tame so far. Because you'd be in jail. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah. I don't know. That's his, that's his own stuff. And the UK is interesting. You know, they brought it up in the... You had Brexit going on. And, geez, that was like five years ago that this stuff was happening. I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. You like all of it, even the even their wedding. Like, if you just asked me, and you're like, "When was that? Was that during COVID?" I'd be like, mm, "I think so," just because time is just so warped now. Obviously, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, it, interesting stuff. I mean, I kind of find the well, we just want our privacy, but we're gonna have a Netflix documentary. Is like. So you don't want your privacy? Like, you could just disappear into the sunset and chill. Um, but they they don't seem interested in doing that. But then... No, of course not. They just they got $10 million to do a Netflix documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's <laughs> got to pay the bills, I guess. Um, I'm sure they got plenty of, of uh, uh, income coming their way. Who knows? Well, yeah. I mean, she's not acting anymore. I don't... I actually... Like, does he get an Can allowance? I give a Canadian angle to this story? Uh, I haven't followed up um, in the Quebec National Assembly. Oh, yes. And sort of a brouhaha because the Parti Québécois refused to uh, sort of salute the king, as it were. And uh, apparently they were not allowed into the assembly for a couple of days. I don't know if that's been rectified. Uh, it's, it's a bit of showboating because they've been doing it for many years, even when they were in government. Well, yeah, I don't, but, I don't, um, it's one of those things where, like, it's, it's symbolic, um, but I understand, like, realistically, you're, this is, this is kind of why I like the American approach on that, where you're swearing an oath to the Constitution, right, to yes. uphold the Constitution, the founding documents of the country, um, against um, enemies both domestic and abroad. Um, that is, uh, rather than to an entity, per se, like like the crown. Um, so it's like, I understand, but then at the same time, it's, it, it, I don't know. It just is, uh, it seems just like... Let's, what what story can we drum up to make ourselves relevant here for the Parti Québécois? Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked a lot about the British royal family. Let's talk about the American royal family, if we can. This relates. We can talk about the Twitter files probably in the, the next segment there, uh, David, because there's a, there's a lot that, that's happening in that aspect. But uh, wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening with uh, Senor Biden, and we had this election, this runoff, yeah. 
in the state of Georgia. So the uh, Trump factor was complete in yet another denial of a GOP <laughs> candidate. Yeah. So that turns over to the Dems, meaning it's a 51 well, uh, controlling interest. And now we, we uh, uh, have the news that just came out yeah. that uh, Kristen Sinema, Arizona senator, uh, is going to go independent, yep. which technically, you know, you also have a couple other independent senators as well. Technically, yeah, but she has uh, more so. of an actual independent streak, um, so she's not like Bernie, Bernie Sanders, Sanders independent, yes. who's further yeah. to the left. She's more in like she's been in the middle, um, kind of like Joe Manchin. It'd be interesting to see if Joe Manchin went independent and just like went down the the center rather than park his car with the Democrats, but. I don't think it will change much. Um, but again, even with 50 uh, and and the vice president as the tiebreaker, all it takes is one Democratic senator to break ranks and any legislation falls apart. Um, so there's still lots of opportunity for gridlock. Gridlock is good, like gridlock. Yes. Good thing. Um, you know, it means you're not going to get any good trade deals through, but it means the bad laws probably won't be passed and, uh, there'll be all kinds of, uh, roadblocks to what would normally be a very effective controlling machine of, of government and legislatures. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple other things here on Consumer Choice Radio once we are back. Uh, Dave, let's talk about those Twitter files. Yeah. Getting all excited talking about that. We'll be right back. We're back on Consumer Choice Radio, as uh, we always try to not do. We're going to talk about Twitter here for this last uh, tranche of the program. Uh, the Twitter files have been unveiled. Uh, we've had two different iterations. Uh, first one was presented by the uh, journalist and substacker Matt Taibbi, going over the decision of uh, suspending the account of the New York Post and all of the different articles around the Hunter Biden laptop story. So that was uh, tranche number one. Tranche number two came to us via former New York Times journalist and also substacker Barry Weiss, who provides a good amount of information relating to shadow banning, to the kind of admin portals over there on the Twitters, uh, who gets downranked, all the rest. Um, that stuff I found very interesting. Um, this is where you have very different reactions. Uh, the reactions I saw is from a, a couple of, uh, I would call establishment journos were like, this is not new information. We know all of this. And then others who say, look, <sighs> proof, smoking gun. I don't know. Where do, well, where do you stand on this? For the shadow banning, the thing, I think that's the controversy is that they said they were never doing that. Um, but obviously they were. Um, so they have a little bit of like, whoops. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just just confirms, I think, the the huge um, takeaway, and I'm sure you will agree, is that the more you get involved in content moderation, the more complicated and... uh, Subjective it is, right? Right? Yeah. So there's a difference between... Obviously, we are going to um, to deprioritize accounts that are spreading 
let's say electoral disinformation so like where to vote when to vote where your polling station is there were there have been instances of that i get that right that's a i i understand the desire to do that anything that dips into um the criminal justice system so that anything that would be considered illegal death threats um child pornography all of those things like absolutely but then once you get into general misinformation um right the I, essentially trying to deregister or deprioritize people for being wrong um that is where you get all sorts of weird inconsistencies and you have no terms of service that can apply equally in terms of how you're going to apply that um because is it just what people have done on Twitter or is it we're going to uh, deprioritize bad people? I mean, there, Vladimir Putin has a Twitter account, folks. <laughs> so how do you... Has he broken Twitter's rules of service? Probably not. Because um, he doesn't tweet much other than government statements. Um, but like Chinese ambassadors, they put out all sorts of crazy things all the time. Um, yet they're still there. Um, and so you have these inconsistencies where you, you take down some right-wing blogger or libs of TikTok. Um, and then at the same time, you have these really nefarious people on Twitter operating openly. Um, so it just creates a big mess. It is a big mess and all kinds of, uh, ideological questions, unfortunately. And this is kind of what you got to do. And, Having run a Mastodon instance, which all the journos now in their handles have their Mastodon handle. You can see that. Uh, apparently, they don't use it because they seem to just stay on the Twitters. Uh, so this Exodus thing was kind of baloney. Uh, but, you know, running a Mastodon instance, you know, you have a lot of power. You can ban people. You, can, you can't really deprioritize because Mastodon does not use algorithms. But you can ban suspend accounts. You can do all this kind of stuff. Um, it is a completely linear timeline. So it's just every toot, as it's called in the Mastodon world, um, that are, that <laughs> every are listed. Toot. Every toot. Every toot as, is as available. As opposed to a fart. As yes. opposed to a fart. Yeah, well, okay. what's a tweet? Who knows? Uh, so the, you can see that in the content moderation. It's interesting. So there is a, a Supreme Court case in the U.S. right now. And this deals with your buddies. Um, what are they called? ISIS? <laughs> Um, oh boy! No, it relates to uh, th there are several cases, but the one in uh, I'm talking about is a uh, Gonzalez v. Google, and uh, I believe this is uh, one of the Paris terrorist attacks. Uh, there's the a family of one of the victims that is claiming that basically YouTube YouTube's algorithm uh, promoted ISIS videos and recruiting videos to the particular individual who carried this out, and uh, that YouTube should be held liable for that and uh, that, that's kind of what is in front of the supreme court now we won't get a decision before i don't know june or something like this uh but that's where the the algorithms are coming in central concern and what was going on with twitter and the twitter files is tiny tweaks on the algorithm to sort of get your account down for the day deprioritize i forgot what the admin portal said but there is a way to make sure that your tweets do not go very far and considering my own um, now 14-year existence on that platform, David, 
Um, I can say I probably have this on mine. So I blame the algorithms and um, I blame the, the Twitter CEOs. That's the only reason and, uh, my very smart tweets are not getting further. That's it. That's all. That's the only reason. Uh, so I, this is uh, it's a bit messy and there obviously is going to be a lot of bias depending on where you recruit people, the people who are working on these products and projects. You would hope that there would be a very transparent way to atone for that. It does not seem that that existed. And considering that, you know, we have this new change in ownership, uh, some things will, will be very different. I don't, I don't know what to think about it. And look, Twitter is just one thing and it could die tomorrow and there'd probably be better things that come along. So I'm not necessarily wedded to this platform. It just happens to, I think, work very well right now as a kind of um, public uh, telegraph service that everybody pays attention to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, we, we always have to remind people that like MySpace was once considered like the monopoly. And and people, there were headlines in major news publications that were like, how will anything ever compete with MySpace? It's like, well, lots of things came, across, came along and competed with MySpace. Um, and so long as there are no barriers to... Um, to that competition, you're going to see alternatives exist. Um, whether or not they catch on is to be determined. Um, but on that algorithm thing, it, that seems like an incredible, um, just an incredible dismissal of responsibility. Um, like saying, on, well, on I part? saw something. Pardon? Oh, on the, on on the, the family's on part. part. Like, uh, on the family's yeah. part right you someone has done something terrible and now you're trying to say that it wasn't their fault um because they saw things um yeah so you're not now, blaming the terrorist guy and I, I don't remember which um terrorist attack it, it was unfortunately there have been many um in this one was in france particularly um but yeah basically they want someone to blame uh that guy i believe is dead i mean he's not coming to the supreme court i'll tell you that and they say, well, look, it's these algorithms. And we've heard this a lot. This was a big meme a couple of years ago that uh, YouTube is a right-wing rabbit hole, this kind of thing. But look, it's garbage in, garbage out. Whatever your input is into the app, into the service, is kind of what your output is going to be. So if you look at mine, like you obviously have a lot of uh, Bitcoin content, vaping stuff, economics, news of the day. And those are the you know, algorithmic recommendations that I get. If I'm like, you know, I'd really like to, to, to hit, <laughs> I, I don't know, I really want to hit these occupying powers of this country. And you input that into your search and then you start looking around the video, of course it's going to recommend videos related to that. Question is, does, is that putting YouTube in the hot seat because they provide that algorithm? Does that mean that they're liable for the rabbit holes that people find? Well, I think the, like, are they, should they be punished for showing you content based on your interests? Probably not. Now, maybe they need to do a better job of, uh, of, con of controlling things that dip into illegal, like if you're recruiting for a terrorist organization, obviously that is, <laughs> that probably breaks some law somewhere. Yeah, the, these um, so Greenpeace videos are next level, so I don't know about that. 
Well, yeah, again, then it just depends on, like, what bar do we put the word illegal? Like, if you're defacing the Mona Lisa and gluing yourself to the floor and there's videos encouraging you to do that, um, that is encouraging people to do things that are illegal. Now, obviously, that doesn't reach the bar of joining ISIS by any means, but, um, again, yeah, conundrum. Where, how are we drawing lines? Where are we drawing lines? Things, things like that. Yeah, and we we did put out a press release on this. Um, overall, yeah, it's Supreme Court can decide. Look it up. And what's at what's at stake here is uh, something called Section Two Thirty of the Communications and Decency Act. Basically, allows um, publishers online to not be held liable for the user generated content. So, if I put a video up on YouTube of you know saying let's go deface the Mona Lisa. Uh, you can't necessarily go after YouTube grabbing there. You can go after me. You can go after me for whatever crime, but you can't necessarily go after the platform. And essentially, Section 230 is a way that platforms, whether it be Facebook, YouTube, or anything else, that they can avoid having to do like super heavy content moderation to plead the state. Um, I think from from kind of our perspective, if the algorithms all of a sudden are not protected, then that means that many of these tech companies won't be using them anymore. Or they'll find ways to tweak it and it'll just be way more content moderation. You'll have less freedom of speech online or it'll all move to Malta or something like this. So we'll lose a lot of <laughs> yeah. innovation, um, at least in, in North American places where we tend to prefer innovation and what they provide for consumers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then... It also, it goes into, like, it dips over into the ad side of everything. Like, it is generally good that the ads that you get on social media are tailored to what you like and want, rather than the old billboard approach where they're just going to splash up an ad that may have no relevance to you, end up paying a lot of money for eyeballs on it for a, a consumer base that maybe doesn't care at all, where... I can see ads for things that I'm actually interested in, which I appreciate. Um, sometimes it can be a little much, um, but I actually much prefer that than seeing a bunch of ads that um, that I really don't care about. Um, and so, have you been injured like, in a wreck? Call this injury yeah. attorney. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've seen a lot of those. Yeah, and that's uh, the whole point of uh, targeted advertising. And there have been attempts in the European Union and some other countries to outlaw this. Uh, which is just incredible. And there's um, another thing that we missed, David, there's a, a part of the uh, National Defense Authorization Act, so funding of the military, and uh, they tried to throw in a portion of uh, the media cartel bill in the U.S. Uh, to essentially allow all of the traditional media outlets, uh, newspapers and TV stations, uh, to work as a cartel and try to negotiate with Google and Facebook uh, so that their content does not appear on those platforms uh, without a, a fee. Uh, that was thrown out in the end, um, but likely could come up again either towards the very end of the year on appropriations or next year, who knows? And I know in Canada, it's very similar. There's a, a similar bill, um, which some dub the link tax that aims to do the same. Yeah. Oh, that, that always grinds my gears. Because what are, like... What would some of these major news publications be without social media sharing they would have the viewer the viewership on articles would just plummet 
and I think most of them would probably go under. Uh, and so, like, rather than appreciating the fact that social media offers them free exposure, uh, they want to lobby government to get paid for it. And there's a really nefarious aspect in all of this, because if you go to any article, what do you see in terms of the share feature? Right? You can share it to Facebook. You can share it to um, to Twitter. And now those newspapers want to get paid every time they prompt you to share something on Twitter. It just is like, it's ugh, cronyism 101. Cronyism 101. Great title for yeah. the program this week, David. <laughs> uh, pleasure to catch up. Consumer Choice Radio. Y'all stay tuned. Uh, subscribe to the podcast version. Check out the site, consumerchoiceradio.com. We'll be back next week.